0: Welcome, everyone. Um, I'd just like to pray before we begin. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, that it separates bone from marrow, that it separates heart from spirit. Um, We are not engaged in some kind of intellectual exercise. The math just doesn't add up. 35 minutes throughout the whole week to be able to combat what the world, what our flesh and what the enemy feeds us. And we ask for your power, Holy Spirit, to take the word of God, to make it alive. Jesus, you promised that the Holy Spirit would lead us into truth. And so we come before you this morning dependent And hopeful in a posture of receptivity and change. I wanna pray that you would anoint me, um, that I would be faithful to the truth of your word. I wanna pray that you would be present with my brothers and sisters so that we can look in the mirror of your word and not go away unchanged. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, um, Karen took us uh, through a number of chapters in Luke. We are currently in the Gospel of Luke, and we are, you can see my OCD is really, uh, like, don't want this thing to up op- There we go. Right. Um, so we are currently in Luke 11, and the backstory to Luke 11 is, as Corin mentioned last week, uh, Jesus sent out the 72. Now the 72 have returned, and they are rejoicing, and they are so happy at what they've seen, And so we pick up here in verse 11, and uh, I'm going to be reading most of the chapter of 11, but only the first four verses to begin with. Uh, The disciples look at Jesus, and they observe something. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. I remember when I was in 12th grade, I, uh, I, I went to a South African school, and what they would do is they would post the, the equivalent, it was called first team and second team, they would post varsity and junior varsity. Um, on the notice board, and everyone would gather around, and everyone would see, did you make the team, did you not make the team, did you make the team? Uh, two weeks before that, I'd come to faith, and, um, and the week prior to, uh, to this Tuesday morning, I'd scored a half century, and a half century, it, it doesn't matter, it's basically, I did really well, okay, and, um, and so I was promoted to varsity, or first team. And uh, it really fed my ego. And, uh, and so this was now Tuesday morning, and I was, um, on, on, on Monday night, I was sitting there, and I asked a friend of mine, I'd just come to faith the week before that, can I pray that I would make the team again, and can I pray that I would score another 50? Um, and so she answered me, and she said... Um, Yes, but I don't know that God will answer that. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't he answer our prayers? Isn't that the whole point of me becoming a Christian? You know, like now I have this, this kind of trump card where I can actually go and say, this is what I want, and will you give it to me? And, and thankfully, what happened is, they discipled me in the concept of what prayer represents. And the fact that prayer, prayer predominantly represents this idea of surrender and intimacy rather than provision and direction. So the focus and center of prayer is surrender and intimacy, out of which we receive provision and direction. I mean, you can giggle and laugh, but most of us know that Most of the time we pray, even if you don't have faith in Jesus, even if you're not a Christ follower, you pray in a time of crisis, you pray when you desire something, you pray out of obligation or tradition, or you pray in a sense of absolute impotence. There is nothing that I feel like I can do, so I guess I'll pray. In fact, these days, the concept of prayer is synonymous with the the, the idea of powerlessness and sympathy. So something terrible happens, and people will say our thoughts and prayers are with you. In other words, like, gee, that sucked that that really happened, but, you know, what, what are we going to do about it? You know, we're watching Friday Night Lights, and uh, we're super late to the party. But, um, but you know, it's, it's Texas, it's tradition, Christianity, it's, it's like, you know, it's like football, family, and then God. Um, and, uh, and there he is, he's lying in bed, he's got this massive injury in his hip, and he's saying, please God, can I get more drugs before Friday, you know? There's this sense of like, whatever it is that I want, whatever desire I have, if I filter it through prayer, it becomes a pure desire. Um, and that is not what Jesus is teaching his disciples. I think the problem is that we either really don't pray, or we pray with us as the center of our prayers. We pr- if, we, if we pray only to receive something, then no wonder our batting average is so low. If, if we look at prayer as this transactional analysis of every time that I've prayed, I've received something, how many of you think we would probably be praying a little more? We, we probably would, right? For a lot of us, prayer is a place of shame, because in a sense we, we're like, I know I should be doing this more, but I'm not doing it. For some of us, place, uh, prayer can be a place of fear, you know, two weeks ago, we said that when we come to God and the vine dresser begins to dig up a lot of stuff, if we give ourselves to prayer, then one of the challenges is that God reveals stuff to us that we don't necessarily want to see. Um, and so the way that we can avoid that is, is not to pray. Prayer really is not a lack of discipline, but a lack of dependence. Corey Ten Boom has this amazing quote, and she says that, she asked the question, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? So in other words, is, is prayer something that directs you or is prayer something that you use when you when things go wrong? Now, I would say that's a great analogy because w- what she's actually saying is like, prayer should not be the thing that we default to when something goes wrong. It should be the, the thing that gives us focus and direction. But I would say prayer is really more like railway tracks. Because Basically, what you're asking God is like, am I on the right path? And once we're on the right railway track, then we don't really question anything else. We just watch the landscape go by. We're not wondering whether the conductor is doing what he's doing. We're not wondering if, I mean, unless you have major fear and anxiety problems, or not worried about whether there's another train coming on the same track as you. You you generally want to know that you're on the right track. When I took my family to, um, to South Africa, we had a 24-hour layover in, in Paris. And so we did all the sights, and then we got back onto the train that I thought was taking us back to the airport. And we had about two hours, you know. And, and for those of you that know me, my best is to literally walk through security onto the plane, sit down, and the plane takes off. That's like, that's my ideal way, even with a family, you know. So so what happens is we get on this train and um, it's dark because our plane's going to take off. And and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I wonder if we're headed in the right direction. And we weren't. We were headed away from the airport, away from the airport. And the only way that that I could figure this out, because for those of you that have been to France, you know, French people are very language proud, which means that if you don't speak French, they really are not going to be very extra gracious about helping you. So what I had to do is, as the train stopped, I got out quickly and looked around and realized, no, we were headed in the wrong direction. Um, Grabbed my family, put them onto the train, and thank goodness it was an express train that took us all the way through the airport. Um, I'm not sure why I shared that story. But... um, (laughs) But other than than this, is to say this, most of us look at prayer, like she said, as a spare wheel. When something goes wrong, I'm going to pray. We don't look at it as the idea of, if I pray, then maybe something won't go wrong. Maybe I won't need to use the spare wheel. As I said, prayer is about surrender and intimacy before it is about direction and provision. So the problem is we either don't pray or we pray with ourselves as the center This is our modern-day prayer that we pray for ourselves as the center. O vague universal entity that exists solely for my good, I'm glad that you're listening. (laughs) Hallowed, defended, honored, and respected be my name. My kingdom come, my rights be upheld, my perspective prevail. My will be done because I've jumped through every religious hoop that I deem necessary. Give me this day everything I believe I need and everything I want. Forgive me my little weaknesses, but don't ask me to forgive others because their sins are much worse than mine. May I enjoy the pleasure of every temptation, but deliver me from any kind of trial or suffering that is too hard or difficult. For mine is the kingdom, mine is the power, and mine is the glory. It's a little awkward, right? We sit there and we think, okay, God, I I mean we may not actually pray this prayer in the way that it is worded here. But a lot of us approach prayer from this perspective. And Jesus is giving us a posture in the Lord's Prayer. Now, a posture is different to a mold, a posture is different to a script. What Jesus is giving us is, is a posture. and In fact, Jesus, in Matthew's account, says don't be like the Gentiles that just do these vain repetitions and babbling. So he's not giving the Our Father as something that you just need to vainly repeat. He's giving it as a, as a posture, not as a script. Now, what is a posture? A posture is, is we align ourselves to a certain leaning. Now, when Cara and I were dating... Um, I, had a, um, I didn't have a motorbike. I, I was borrowing a friend's motorbike, and I said to Corinne, come get on the bike with me. And she was horrified, petrified. Um, but we were dating, so she said yes. You know, Now she would say, no. With a four-letter four letter word in front of that. You know what I mean? No, sorry, not the word you're thinking. <laughs> Begins with an H. That's what she'd say. You know what I mean? She would say, no, go, have fun. But because we were dating, she's like, okay. And I said, now this is the most important thing. You hold on to me, and you feel the direction that I'm leaning, those of you that have ridden a motorbike, and you lean with me, okay? You posture yourself around me, and if we're turning right, you lean into the turn. If we're turning left, you lean into the turn. I, I thought that was pretty clear, right? <laughs> And so here we go, left turn, I'm leaning into the turn, and Karin is leaning away from the turn, and what does the motorbike do? It just carries on going straight, right? What Jesus is telling his disciples is, this is not how you pray. You don't get up every morning and say, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name and come, you will be done. No. He says, this is how you posture yourself. And so the first way that we posture ourselves is understanding that prayer is not just about talking it's also about listening. We have the privilege to be in a posture of being able to speak to our Father, being able to hear Him speak back to us. Jesus has given us a posture, but He's also going to teach us through parables and illustrate that the most important thing about prayer is not exactly how you do it, but that you do it. That is the most important thing about prayer. Let me say this, there is no wrong way to pray. Unless you're praying to the devil, there is no wrong way to pray. Can you speak to someone? Can you engage with someone? Can you listen to someone? Then you can pray. And Jesus helps us. Prayer is one of the most mystical and simple things we will ever encounter. And it's, it's mystical because it is designed to engage both our intellect and our emotions. And some of you that are more intellectual, it'll engage your intellect. Some of you that are more emotional, it'll engage your emotions. So let's look at this. If prayer is about surrender and intimacy before it is about direction and provision, it's not that it isn't, but it's before, how do we start? Father who is in heaven. What is God trying to communicate to us? I am a God that is both eminent and transcendent. In other words, I am a God that you can engage with through conversation and prayer but I am a God that exists in a realm that you don't even have a grid for. There is this sense of saying, there is, there is no way that I'll be able to understand the fullness of who you are, but I've been invited into this place to actually call you Father. What a privilege that is. Addressing God as Father is both a foundational and a formational kind of core to our lives, It's foundational because this is what God told us to do. The way in which we approach God is not as king, though he is, not as all-powerful slayer of the enemy, which he is, not as the one that dealt with our sin, which he is. He says, I want you, when you come to prayer, to call me Father. Who he is then defines who we are. I only call one person, one one human person, I only call one person father. Why? Because that'd be confusing if I call everyone else father, because then whose son am I? So what God is saying is the, the idea of posturing yourself in a way that you understand that I am your father and desire to be intimately engaged in your life is going to change the way that you act and even what you ask for. Hallowed be your name to honor or to make uncommon, or to make other than. Now, we're not asking God to make Himself pure, or holy, or honorable, or powerful. We are asking God that we would recognize that He is all those things, and that that would shape us. So as we meditate on God's holiness, we need to ask ourselves this question. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. If I am understanding that that is who God is, do my words and actions appropriately fit this revelation? As I come before God and say, Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, does my posture fit that revelation? Now, I'm not talking about a fake religiosity when we need to enter with some sense of dark ages, fear of judgment. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is this enormous gift of understanding that the God who said to Moses, I am who I am. In other words, Moses says, who shall I say is sending me? And God says, just tell him I am who I am now, says to us, because of Jesus, you can call me dad. You can call me father. That changes the way we look at ourselves and the way we look at him. Your kingdom come. This is an acknowledgement that we live in the difficult reality that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, but that total victory will only be achieved when he comes the second time. We've spoken about this, the difference between D-Day and V-Day, D-Day and Victory Day. So when the Allies landed in France, in a sense, the war was over, right? But there still needed to be the completion of that war. People still died in that sense. Uh, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about the Emancipation Proclamation that had not made it all the way to Texas. Now. Slaves had been free, and there was a sense of freedom, but they had not realized that until it had happened. So there's this gap, right? And when we say, your kingdom come, we are acknowledging that God's rule is not yet evident in the way that we would want to see it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're saying to God is like, I am seeing, and this is where prayer is a place of honesty. God, I'm seeing things not the way that you said that they would be and we pray into those things. The kingdom of heaven, as I, as I spoke two weeks ago, is like a, a mustard seed, small and slow. It's like yeast. It works itself through, and, and we're looking at that. We, we see that in moments where love triumphs over hate, where we exercise truth and grace, where generosity triumphs over hoarding where purity triumphs over wilderness we see those aspects we also see the lightning of the kingdom of heaven in moments where we see healings and we see miracles where God speaks prophetically to his people and and we see that and when we say your kingdom come we're seeing all of that we're saying God I know that your kingdom has come but there are things that we're battling with that I'm battling with that I need you to come and help me place in proper perspective What we're really saying to him is, may your rule be evident in my life. May my life make it clear that I'm submitting completely to a father who is also a king. Give us this day our daily bread. What that means is we need to cultivate a habit of daily reliance. This is both practically and spiritually. Now, practically, we live in the West. This is very hard for us to grasp. But if you've had the privilege of travel, you know that when you sit down in an orphanage of kids that only have a spoonful of rice and they sprinkle vitamins on that rice because that is all they have, then you understand this prayer of, Give us this day our daily bread, is a practical reality for them. And when they are thanking God for food, it isn't just this tradition that we're just saying grace before a meal, it is because they don't know that tomorrow they will have food. And so practically we disconnect this, right? Because we live in our Western context. But spiritually there's the sense of, of this daily reliance. The problem is most of us are Costco prayers. okay? So most of us like will say, I don't like doing this every day. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Costco and I'm going to load everything up. And so most of, some of us, it'll be maybe a week at church, maybe every two weeks at church. So what I'll do is I'll say to God, give me this day my two weeks of sustenance so that I can just make it through. Because really, I think I can handle my life. All I need you to do is just sprinkle a little bit of vitamins on top of that, but I can handle the rest. As opposed to what it used to be where you would go every day to the village market, and you would go and you would have your little basket. I mean, my, my dad still does this. When he came to visit last time, what are you going to do, Dad? I'm going to go shopping for the meal. I'm like, you know, you could do that once for the week, right? He's like, well, what else am I going to do? You know, But <laughs> you know, but basically, he takes it. He says, what do I need? I need tomatoes. I need this. What do I need for the day? I'm going to get it today. And, and why do we do this? Because Jesus warns us that this helps us this prevents us from living in a rebel posture of self-reliance. If we do this every day, we're saying, God, I need you every day. Karen and I have this argument consistently about Costco. If we're going to buy stuff, can we use it? Because it becomes like manna that rots the next day, right? It's the this, it's this sense of like daily bread. God, today, this morning, you want to teach me something new. Today, this morning, you want to reveal something new about me. Today, you want to free me from something. Why would I want to do that just once or twice a week? Psalm 37 verse 25 is one of my favorite psalms and uh, verses. And now, because I can actually say this, that I have been young, and now I am old, and yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. We know this is our greatest need, and we pretend that this is not our need because we pretend our sin is not that bad. 1 John 1 says that if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. So there is the sense in which we, we connect to the Father and say, Father, forgive me my sins. Now, the word Father is, is precious here because for those of you that are familiar with the prodigal son, when the Father sees the Son... What happens? He runs to the prodigal son. He knows, my prodigal son, what is he doing? He's rehearsing his speech, right? He's saying, I know what I did was wrong. I'm not going to do it again. Please, please treat me as one of your servants. And what does the father do? He runs to him and he wraps him in love and affection and he doesn't let him finish that speech. Why would we not want to do this every day? this is the daily bread that sustains my soul. Let me me, me say something to you. I personally don't feel bad confessing every day because I feel the hug and affection of the Father every day. Now, I understand if you're in a place of shame and fear, that confession is a scary place to be. And if you're in a place of shame and you don't feel the hug of the Father, I could completely understand why you want to push this away. But we know through scripture and the character of God and the way that God chooses to reveal himself is that we will always be forgiven because of what Jesus did. This is a simple test. Do I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind? And do I love my neighbor like myself? Well, that's enough for us to actually go say, God, I don't think so. Please help me. Now, forgiving others is not a condition. Of God forgiving you. It sounds that way, but it isn't. It is the outcome of being forgiven ourselves. There are multiple parables about Jesus saying, if your heart has been set alight by the power and purity of the gospel, and you understand that though you didn't deserve this forgiveness, you have freely received it, why would you not want to extend that to others? You know, as I was preparing for this, and especially this, I felt like God gave me a word of knowledge for someone here, I feel like this person is a male, and there's the scripture that they've used that love covers a multitude of sins. And God gave me this picture of a bandage with pus coming through it. I know, it's lovely, right? But the idea was that there was this deep wound that was being covered over. And the scripture says love covers a multitude of sins. And I feel like whoever, whoever you are, this is not about a father wound. I really believe this is about a mentor in your life that has wounded you, that you have tried to apply that scripture to, that love covers a multitude of sins, when actually what you need to do is go to the Father and say, God, give me the grace to be able to forgive this hurt. Because one of the ways that we also push forgiveness of others away is we pretend like we're not hurt. So that thing happened and it's okay. And we've said this before multiple times in the context of Mercy Commons. It's not okay, but I forgive you. And so I really want you to think, if that's you, is there a mentor in your life that you have tried to cover this over, but you actually need to go to God and say, God, I need to forgive this person. Keep us from temptation. We know from James that God is not the one that tempts us. We know that it says that God cannot be tempted with evil, but he himself tempts no one. So this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In fact, even the word, there are synonyms for this word temptation. Períamos. And in fact, my dad would say this to my brother and I, literally, as we were sitting in the backseat of the car, stop bugging your brother. It's the same word, you know? It's, it's this idea of trial, suffering, pressure, and temptation. And we know that Jesus modeled The idea of being able to overcome temptation in the desert. Who tempted him in the desert? The devil tempted him in the desert. Who led him to the desert? The spirit led him in the desert. Who was present with him? The spirit was present with him. In other other narratives, it says that angels came and ministered to him. And I want to say, saying the words or, or not or being in a posture of saying, God, keep me from temptation, helps us to understand a number of things. We are being actively tempted. The world, your flesh, and the devil are actively tempting you. So when you come before God in a context of prayer, and you say, God, help me in my temptation, you are resisting the idea of this proud autonomy. I got this. You're actually saying, God, there are things that I'm going to face today that I really need your help with. I'm going to be tempted to cheat my job. I'm going to be tempted to lie. I'm going to be tempted to lust. I'm going to be tempted to do those things, and I need your help to be able to walk through those things. He wants us to see what is in us so that we can run to him. When God reveals how easily tempted we are, we can either crumble in shame or we can say, God, that's right. I am easily tempted in this area. I need your help. He gives me the ability to reject the lies of Satan, my flesh, and the world, and, place, and the fact that I place my needs before everyone else's. So when we know who our Father is, and when we know who we are, then we pray with an impudence and a humility. So we ended at verse 4, your kingdom come. In verse 5, Jesus continues. He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer him from within, Don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are, in, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and write, sorry, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, But because of his impudence, audaciousness, boldness, daringness, he will rise up and give him whatever is is needed. I tell you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who who asks receives, and anyone who seeks finds, and the one who knocks will be opened. What father, I want you to see the connection here, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if you ask for an egg, will give him a scorpion? That's why I'm wearing this this shirt. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? When we understand the character of God and we have surrendered to His will and purpose, What it does is it amplifies our boldness to be able to ask. It doesn't make us less, more demure. It's easy to be impudent. It's easy to be audacious and bold when we are praying out of an existing relationship of love and intimacy where we are able to say, our Father, and we are submitted to His will. It's those two things that are key for us to understand. Because an arrogance comes from the sense where we can say, you are my dad, you promised me everything, seek, ask, knock, whatever, is, whatever I want I will receive, but what's missing is, your kingdom come, your will be done. But when we have both, our father, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're able to say, my friend is here, I don't have anything to give him, Ah, It's late. Is that the character and nature of our Father? It it should be like, the door swings open. What do you need? What are you asking for? In fact, it makes us so much bolder when we're not asking for ourselves. He's not asking for himself in this context. He's saying, my friend has come from a journey. I don't have anything to offer. I, as Christians, we don't have anything to offer. What are we offering? The bread of life. We're offering Jesus. God, I have a friend. I don't know what to do. Please help me. The door will swing open. Whatever we ask for, whatever we seek, whatever we knock, because does Jesus want to feed his children with the bread of life? He absolutely does. That should make us not proudly arrogant. You know, I I sent these notes to, to Grace And and one of the synonyms of impudence is arrogance. And it can come across this way. But not when we understand the humility of the God that we are crying out for in the way in which he came in Jesus. And with the next parable that we'll get to. He is exercising his boldness on behalf of others. Now, guys, I know the pain of answered prayer can be traumatic. I know that. I've, I've experienced that in fact, I know it's even more traumatic when you have prayed for someone else. When, when in a sense, you have been doing this and you haven't just heard, don't bother me. You've heard nothing. I know that that can be difficult. I know that that can be hard. I'm not saying that it's easy. But I do want to say that God answers in one of three ways. Yes, no, or not yet. And in my life, I can tell you, God has rescued me with a no so many, many times. And in the moment, it was traumatic for me to experience that no. In that moment, I'm like, why would you not give this to me? I I know men and women in this community that have prayed for a partner, thought this was their partner, prayed God, can we be married? And they didn't get married and now see the rescue of God in that. In that moment, they were devastated. I know men and women that have prayed for this promotion, this job, this house, this whatever. And in, 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 the, in that moment, in that time, felt either completely ignored by God or why would you not give me this, especially when this is our seeking knock? Because my son, this is not according to my kingdom will. And you will see that. the gift of the Holy Spirit in all of this is crucial. We cannot live the way that God has called us to live on our own strength. That's why what Jesus is saying, this is about being able to receive the empowerment from God to live in this way where you can be boldly, humbly audacious. Only the Spirit of God God is able to do this. And ask God for the Spirit to be able to empower you because you're God is a good father and he will not withhold that from you. When was the last time you audaciously asked God for something on behalf of someone else? I mean audaciously, not a popcorn prayer. God, please bring healing to her. God, please help him to see how he's destroying his family. God, please give him the strength to say no. When was the last time we did that for someone? When was the last time we did that for someone in our family? Now, this is not about heaping shame, guys. This is about saying we have an invitation to God from God that says, Ask, be bold, be audacious. I am not going to be like this guy who is annoyed. So if we have this impudence, then we need to have this humility. Luke tells the story of Jesus telling this parable in Luke 18, the parable of the widow and judge, which is exactly the same as this parable, only she is asking for her own need. She's saying, give me justice. And there's the judge that's saying, go away, go away. And eventually Jesus says, well, because of her consistent boldness, the judge answered. But we're going to pick up in verse 9. And he also told this parable to some. Now, remember what we said the rule about parables was? If Jesus tells us or the Bible tells us what the parable is about, what is that parable about? It's about what it's about, right? So, he told us this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's what this parable is about. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God... I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, that wasn't for effect, (laughs) adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I want to say this. It's not the acts that are wrong. It's the attitude that is wrong. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat on his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's hard to believe that historically Jewish men would wake up in the morning and they would pray this prayer. God, I thank you that you haven't made me a Jew. I mean, well, that would be dumb, right? (laughs) Jewish men would pray and would say, I thank you that you haven't made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Because that was what they looked down upon. I thank you that I'm a Jewish man. I am the top of the food chain. And and that's how it would start. And and there's the sense in which this man comes in, and he's trusting in his righteous acts. Now, it's important to understand this. Those were righteous acts. Those were good things that he was doing. Jesus even says so, that that he's trusting in his righteous acts. But the attitude that he comes with is not the attitude that Jesus showed his disciples previously when they said, teach us how to pray. His attitude is, I've got this. question is, do we trust in our righteous acts. Now maybe we aren't fasting twice a week. I don't know anyone who's fasting twice a week. Maybe we aren't giving tithes of everything that I get, but maybe we're doing things that we feel like separates us from everyone else. Hey man, I I go to life group, I give some money, I attend church. This separates me from the rest of the people that are so obviously sinful. That's going to be a hindrance to our prayers. Do I judge myself against other people? Do I look at my sinfulness and say, look, it's not that bad when you compare it with Sean. You know, because that is a whole long list. Right. And, and so, like, we're talking Jerry Springer stuff here. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, obviously not. The, the challenge is, is we, we, we cannot, in our honesty... Compare ourselves to what the Word of God says. So what we look for is we look for a better, easier kind of benchmark. And and say to God, well, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like him or her. What does that do? It makes us not say, God, forgive me my trespasses. It makes us not say, as I forgive others. Because the bottom line is... If we're saying, God, forgive me my trespasses, where is the focus? Where, where are you asking the Spirit to place the focus? On you. God, reveal this to me. Why? Because I want to walk out the gospel and I want to be able to forgive others. When, I, when I'm praying, do I have contempt for other people? How hurt. Must someone be to act in that way? Have you ever thought that? My wife's name is Karen. She is very afraid of actually telling anyone her name. Because even though we call her Karen, most people, especially at Starbucks, don't understand that. So it's Karen, right? Exactly, right? (laughs) Right. Someone literally gasped. Just at the mention of the name Karen. We have all these memes and things and we see people doing ridiculous things. And I remember spending time in prayer with God one day and I was really hurt by someone. And God said to me, imagine how hurt they have to be to treat you like that. Wow, that shifted something. Not immediately, I wish I could say. Not immediately. I just moved on to the next subject. I didn't have the spiritual bandwidth for that. But God brought it back because it was a daily bread. Hey, Nick, that thing we spoke about yesterday? Yeah, no, 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 I'm not ready to deal with that yet. It's fine. I'll bring it up tomorrow. Do I acknowledge that I need help and that I'm sinful? Guys, this is not about Begging. This is, this is not the posture that Jesus showed his disciples. This is not about walking into the presence of God, cowering. This is not the idea. This is the recognition that I'm sinful and that I need God's help. And Jesus multiple times has said, if you humble yourself, I will lift you up. But if you are proud, I will bring you down. Many stories, many parables of don't sit at the head of the table, don't do this. This is not about begging. This is about boldly asking your dad. Band, you can come up here. The reason we can have this bold humility is because of what Jesus has already accomplished. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So we, we covered this in Luke 4, where Jesus was tempted as a man. We, we don't have a God that doesn't understand what it's like to live in these bodies, but He was tempted in every respect as we were, yet He was without sin. Because God came to earth in the form of a human being, Jesus, the Son of God, we are able to do what? Let us with confidence. Confidence in me? Confidence in my daily rhythms? Confidence in my righteous acts? No, what am I confident in? I'm confident that Jesus Christ is our high priest who passed through the heavens that he was tempted in every respect, yet without sin. Let me then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Because Jesus resisted the temptation in the desert, he was able to resist the temptation in the garden. Because in the garden, he was able to do what he told his disciples. God, not my will but yours be done. Because in the garden, he knew that the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body was what was necessary to make us brothers and sisters that we could call God Father. So I wanna ask you as we just respond, do I need a new sense of intimacy and surrender with the Father. I need to start actually making some bold prayers on behalf of others. Or am I hedging my bets? Am I saying, God, give me this, but not my will, but yours be done, is not elevating Jesus to where he belongs, but it's actually hedging my bets, saying, I don't really believe you can do this, so I'm just gonna tag this religious thing on there, no. God I believe you can do this and if you don't I don't understand the reason for it but I'm going to keep asking for it until you reveal to me why. Or do I need to say your kingdom come and your will be done in an area of my life where his kingdom is not coming and his will is not being done. Let me pray. Our Father In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give to us this day our daily bread. Help us not to lead this independent, autonomous life. forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation. Protect us from the evil one because yours is the kingdom.